to the preaching and teaching ministry of Marion Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. I like to start with questions, get us thinking. The question today, and it's going to be a follow-up question, what concerns you the most about the condition of the world we live in today? What concerns you the most about the condition of the world we live in today? How many of you immediately had a hard time settling on one thing? Yes, we've been talking about this over the last month, the mess that our world is in. I've been preaching a sermon series that I plan at this point anyway to finish next week called Last Day's Lifestyle. When we see the teaching in the scripture about the last days and the things that are going to happen, we know that they've basically been happening ever since Jesus went back to heaven. And that's technically, biblically, when the last days began. But there have been ebbs and flows and ups and downs. But things have been getting so bad that we have once again started saying things like, surely Jesus is going to come back soon because things are getting pretty bad. When I first started this series, I made a list of the things that came to my mind. Don't mean to depress you, but run through that again. The things that could cause our concern, our economy, politics, war, terrorism, disasters, climate change, racial or ethnic issues, immigration, homelessness, drug and other type of substance abuse, violence and crime, the lack of consequences for crime, which causes it to increase, abortion, the changing views of sex and sexuality and gender that are such a hot topic today. Sickness, including COVID and other things that they say are coming and just moving and going around in our society. The quality and content of education. What is being taught to our children in schools. That's all topics that have nothing to do with the Bible other than the fact that the Bible has a lot to say about those things. But as believers, we also deal with the fact that there is a stronger, at least it seems to be more and more stronger, opposition to God, to His Word, to His standards, and to His people. And if you are one of His people, which would probably be true of most everybody in this room, most of you watching online, um, maybe you begin to sense that opposition you see it in the response, maybe in your own personal life, but we see it in the news and in other avenues in which we pick up information. It causes anxiety, discouragement, fear, depression, anger. Now, my first question is, what concerns you the most about the condition of the world we live in? When I asked that, you probably thought of a couple of things, but now you're a whole lot more concerned. I understand that. But we need to take these things seriously. Christians don't need to live with their heads in the sand. We need to be aware of what's going around us and understand what God calls us to do. You know, I didn't even think of it until just this moment. There is a scripture in the Old Testament, and it talks about one of the tribes of Israel. I think it was Issachar. And it says specifically that they understood the times, and they knew what they needed to do about it. 
That's a paraphrase of it. And that's kind of what we need to do as believers. That's why I've been teaching, preaching this series on end times lifestyle. We talked about Jesus' warnings about the last days. We talked about some instruction God gave through Paul about the difficulties that we're going to face in the last days. Then we talked about some things that Peter had said about some basic instructions for the last days. And if you missed any of those, you can go online and listen to them or watch them if you'd like to do that. But today I want to talk specifically about the answer to the second question I have for you. And the second question is this. What do we most need to survive and thrive as followers of Jesus Christ during these times? As believers in Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus, I believe that God doesn't want us to just somehow make it through by the skin of our teeth. Somehow persevere. Perseverance is a great topic in Scripture. We need to persevere in the midst of pressure. But God doesn't want us to just survive. He wants us to thrive. Now, I'm not talking about that God's going to make you rich, give you a big house, drive a Cadillac or whatever your favorite vehicle is, and all that can perfect health. I'm just saying that whatever God calls us to do in this life, and He's got a call in each of our lives, He wants us to thrive in that, not just somehow barely make it through. What is it that we most need? There could be a number of answers, and for each person it may be a little bit different, but I want to focus on one particular thing today, and I believe that that is courage. The title of my message today is Courage for the Last Days. Courage for the Last Days. If we are going to live through these times, no matter how close we may be to the coming of Jesus, whether he comes back this afternoon, next year, or maybe he doesn't come back for another 20 years. As we live in the midst of the difficulties and the opposition that we may face as believers in Jesus Christ, we need courage to survive and thrive as believers. What do we mean by courage? The definition of courage is the ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. The ability to do something that you know is difficult or dangerous. Is living for Jesus difficult and dangerous? The difficult part, we say, yeah, it is. We've got a lot of forces against us. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. How about dangerous? You know, we've been blessed in our culture that if we choose to live for Jesus, it hasn't been all that dangerous but it's getting more so all the time, and it could get to the point where it becomes very dangerous. And by dangerous, I don't mean that someone's going to take your life, although it could happen. But I mean dangerous in the fact that we can face loss because we choose to follow Jesus. Through most of history and in most parts of the world, believers face tremendous opposition, tremendous pressure. Tremendous loss if they decide to take a stand for Jesus. And I would just say that this is not something I want. It's not something I pray for. But I believe that God is laying on our hearts, not just mine, that we need to be ready for whatever's going to come. Because as we continue forward in the direction we're currently going, I pray for revival. I pray for revival in God's church. I pray that God move powerfully in our nation. Things turn around. I would love to see a resurgence of godliness and righteousness and good standards and all that kind of stuff. It's happened in history before, but it may or may not happen. We need to be ready whether it happens or not so that we can take a stand and stand firm. So today we want to talk about that. How can we have that courage? How can we be able to stand strong 
and do and believe what is right. Even if things get much more difficult and even if they get dangerous. We're going to be looking at a story in Acts chapter 4. It's early in the life of the church. But already, it's only been probably a couple of weeks since Jesus ascended into heaven. But already the church is starting to get pushed back. The church is already being persecuted. And it's going to escalate. If you read the book of Acts, as you go past chapter 4, chapter 4, it starts recording all the pushback the church and the leaders of the church are getting for believing in Jesus and preaching and teaching and sharing the good news. But I would say that what we can see in this story are truths that we can apply to our lives now, even 2,000 years later. What gave them courage can give us courage too. We're going to be reading from Acts chapter 4 in just a moment. The background is Jesus died, was buried, he rose again. Spent about 40 days off and on with his disciples, teaching them and helping them. He gets ready to ascend into heaven and he calls them all together. He says, listen, I'm going away. But you wait for the, for the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to dwell within you. He's going to give you power to be witnesses. And the Holy Spirit did come 10 days later on the day of Pentecost. The power of God came down into God's people. And supernatural manifestations, a crowd gathered. Peter preached. 3,000 people committed their lives to Jesus Christ. The next chapter, chapter 3, it just talks about everyday life in the early church. How they're reaching out to people, living for Jesus God's doing some great things and Peter and John go to the temple to pray and on the way there's a man that is lame. He hasn't walked for 40 years and he's asking for alms. And Peter says, I don't have any money, but Jesus can heal you. Get up and walk. And he got up and walked. He ran. He leaped. He started praising God. Everybody in the temple knew this man. He'd been begging for years. They got all excited. A big crowd gathered together, just like on the day of Pentecost. And Peter starts preaching about how Jesus healed this man and how Jesus can make a difference in their lives. And he gets almost to the end of his sermon in the temple courts and the religious leaders show up with the temple police to arrest him. That's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4. Let's look at Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they, talking primarily about Peter and John, so maybe John preached a little bit too, I don't know. But as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, the captain is the leader of the temple police, the the the, the, the police force that they had to guard the temple and the offerings and all that kind of stuff. It says that they showed up with the Sadducees, who were the most powerful religious leaders at the time. And they came upon them, Peter and John. Greatly annoyed. That's a little, a little mild. They were ticked off. They were upset. They were angry. They were annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Number one, they said, it's not your job to teach the people about spiritual things. That's our job. But not only that, but you're teaching stuff we don't believe in. The Sadducees didn't believe in a general resurrection. And not only that, these were the same leaders that were over the Sanhedrin, we're going to see them in just a moment, that condemned Jesus to death. And now they're preaching and teaching that Jesus is alive, and because of that, he can change other people's lives. And so they were upset. Verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. 
It's too late to get the whole Sanhedrin, the Jewish council together, 71 leaders of the nation, but they would be meeting in the morning, so they threw them in jail. But I love verse 4. Because this is talking about the enemy trying to defeat what God's doing. And it looks like he's successful. But Luke immediately lets us know that, hey, it doesn't look real good. They're facing some difficulty. They're facing some opposition. But God is in control. You know, that's not even the subject of my sermon, but that's true today. When you face the opposition and things are coming against you and the enemy is fighting you and it doesn't look so God good, God is still in control. And he's accomplishing his plans. And, 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 and Luke says at verse 4, But many of those who heard the word believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000. The church is exploding as a result of Peter preaching. And he even gets interrupted in the sermon. He gets hauled away. I don't know if they had handcuffs or not. But more people committed their lives to Christ. And now they number, they number the men for whatever reason. But you add the women and children that may have been involved. The church is just blowing up. Even in the face of opposition. Number, uh, verse number five. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. This is the Sanhedrin, the, the, the ruling leadership. This is kind of like the president, uh, the, the Senate and, um, the Supreme Court all rolled into one. Okay. If you want to compare it to our government. It says they all gathered together, verse 7, and when they had set them, Peter and John, in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? There's kind of a flashback here. There was a time that they called Jesus before them and said, who gives you the authority to teach and preach and do what you do? And I'm not going to recount that whole story. But Jesus basically said, listen, you are rejecting what God is doing. Like it says in the Old Testament, there's the cornerstone, the foundation of what God is doing. And God's people have rejected that cornerstone. And Jesus basically is saying, I'm that cornerstone. And it's interesting because Peter's going to say something very similar. It says in verse 8, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today, Concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. At least three times, I think it's only three times, the name has been mentioned here. What do they mean by the name? And we see that all through Scripture, the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus. We just sang this morning, isn't the name of Jesus something wonderful? What's so special about this name? Just like today, the name represents the person. Whenever you see scripture talking about the name of God, the name of Jesus, it's just another way of saying that Jesus himself, who he is, the type of person who he uh, he is, what he did, what he taught. And so basically the leaders are saying, who gave you this authority? They're saying Jesus did. The same guy you condemned to death, but God raised him up. And it's through Jesus and what he did 
and trust in what he did, that this man has been healed. We go on. Verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness, now I want to stop that word for boldness. That word can also be translated courage or confidence. In fact, several translations translated courage. And so this really is the focus. When they saw the courage, the confidence, the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now, please understand, this does not mean that Peter and John were stupid that they had no sense, common sense, any kind of sense, that they had never gone to school. They had probably been educated as well as any other Israelite, maybe even a little bit better because they were part of the middle class. But basically what they're saying is they had not had any formal theological training. But they're talking about spiritual things almost as if they did. This, is, this doesn't make any sense. They, they don't have that background. They shouldn't be talking like this with this authority or with this even knowledge. But it says, when they saw the boldness and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They're in, they're in a difficult situation. They want to shut this down. But the man that had been healed is right there. I don't know if he was thrown in jail too or if he came back the next day to, or was required to come back the next day to be at this, at this meeting, but he's there and it's like, He's right there, and everybody knows him. He couldn't walk for 40 years. He's been begging in the temple. Everybody knows him. And now he can walk. What are we going to do about this? Verse 15. When they had commanded them to leave the council, and as they wanted to talk without them being in the room, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether or not, or whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. He uses the word listen there in scripture. Whenever you see the word listen used of listening to God, it, it has the understanding that if you're going to be listening, you're going to obey. Okay. Uh, if you're listening to God, you want to hear what he has to say so you can do it. So he's talking about whether it's right to do what God wants us to do or what you want us to do, you judge. What do you think? He goes on in verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Jesus has so changed our lives and our understanding of God and his truth that we can't be quiet about it. God's told us, Jesus told us to tell people. Now you tell me whether we should obey God or you, whether we should listen to God or you, whether we should please God or you. Verse 21. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And I'm going to stop right there. 
And it recorded here, and we're going to look at this next week. Recorded here is the prayer that Peter and John and their friends, their family, their, their church family, we could call it that, they gathered the prayer that they prayed. And we get to the end of the prayer in verse 31, that after they got done praying, verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness, with courage, with confidence. They prayed. God heard their prayer. He shook the place to let them know, I'm here. I hear you. I'm responding. He filled them again with the Holy Spirit. They had the courage they needed. Not just Peter and John, but all of them. And they were able to continue to do what God wanted them to do. We're going to take a look at that prayer next week because today we're talking about courage for the last days. Next week we're going to talk about power for the last days. How can we have the power we need to please God, to live for God in the last days. Well, what does this story have to do with us living in a world hostile to our belief in Christ? As I mentioned, the key is found in verse 13. When they saw the boldness, courage, confidence of Peter and John. We need this courage. Yes, they were facing opposition because they were preaching publicly about Jesus. And some of us preach publicly about Jesus, but most of us probably don't. Hopefully all of us share with others about Jesus. We should. But I would say that the same thing that gave them that courage, that gave them that boldness, are the same things we need to live for Jesus in these difficult days and to do what God wants us to do, even if it doesn't involve preaching publicly about Jesus. So we're going to look at this example and apply it to us. Now, it might be very easy to say, yeah, but these guys were disciples. These guys were apostles. I mean, we're talking about Peter and John. We can't begin to compare. But I want you to remember something. We often think of them as they became, not what they were. They were just simple, everyday people. In fact, before the day of Pentecost, they were pretty much cowards. Peter denied Jesus. And after Pentecost, he is preaching with power in a number of certain... In fact, if you go on in Acts, the next chapter, they're going to be preaching again. They're going to get arrested and they're not going to get off with just a warning this time. They're going to be beaten. Eventually, all the disciples are going to face such opposition and all but one are going to die a martyr's death. Horrific ways, the opposition of the world. But it, it, it doesn't matter. They're just everyday, ordinary people. It's because of what Jesus did in their lives. They were able to do what God called them to do. So we can see the same things in our lives. So what do we need to do to have courage in these last days? And the first one is the most important one. Determine to please God. Determine to please God. Now, I'm talking about believers here. Obviously, the first step is you need to have a relationship with God. I'll talk more about that later, but determine to please God. If we go back to verses 18 to 20, when they had told them to stop this, it says they called them and charged them not to speak or teach it all in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I used the word for this point, please, rather than obey. I could have said, determined to obey God. But I wanted to use the word please because that indicates the right attitude. 
We can choose to obey God but have a bad attitude about it. We can choose to obey God but do the minimum. We can choose to obey God but not still not be exactly right. So I chose the word please because that includes the obeying God and doing what God wants us to do and believing what God wants us to believe, but to do it in relationship with Him with the right attitude. Can I tell you that up to this point in today's culture and maybe for a while longer, it can be relatively easy for someone to say, yeah, I'm a Christian and go to church and do all these things and and, and just kind of be doing that in name only or with a half-hearted commitment or whatever. But I can tell you that it may get to the point where it's not going to be that way anymore. And we're not going to make it unless we have this determination. No matter what comes, I'm going to please God. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what anybody else does. I'm living for God. I'm serving God. I'm going to please God. Who are you trying to please? That's a question we all have to wrestle with. It'd be very easy sitting in church here today or sitting at home or wherever we are watching a church. Says, well, I, I want to please God because it's relatively easy. But we don't also recognize the other forces that are pushing and pulling in our life. Whether we recognize it or not, we've got a lot of forces affecting us. That's why we've preached and taught many times. You've got to be careful what you let into your mind. It's a whole other sermon. And the people you let into your life to have an influence There are so many forces at work to pull us away from God, to pull us away from his truth, to pull us away from his standards, to get us to be apathetic, complacent, to get us to compromise. We've got the whole attitude and the the perspective of the the powers of this world. We've got a a, a spiritual enemy in Satan. Uh, Elder Lynn did a great job last week preaching about our enemy, Satan. In fact, I told him, I said, I just need to make this part of this sermon series because it just fits right in there. In these last days, we've got this enemy that's coming against us. But not only that, we've got a traitor inside. We have our sinful human flesh that draws us away from God and His standards. But we have to decide. We have to determine, I'm going to please God. I'm going to believe what God says is true, and I'm going to live the life that God calls me to live, no matter what my feelings say, no matter what my political party says. No matter what my friends say, no matter what anybody else I'm close to says, no matter what the movies I watch say, no matter what the books I read, no matter what the YouTube stuff is that it says, no matter what the blogs I read, no matter the emails I get, the letters I get, whatever influences come into our lives, and we can't get away from all influence, we gotta guard our influence, but no matter what, it's God. What He says, I'm going to believe what God says about what's important. I'm going to believe what God says about what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to believe what God says about sexuality. I'm going to believe what God says about abortion. I'm going to believe what God says about righteousness. I'm going to believe what God says about the way relationships should be between different ethnicities and and, and races. I'm going to believe what God says about justice and injustice. 
not any other force I'm aligned with. We've got to be determined to please God. Christ-like believers really stand out. If Jesus has really made a difference in our lives, Peter and John stood out. The more that Jesus affects us, the standards that we have, our honesty, integrity, our purity and holiness, none of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. We're still working on it. God's still working on me and through me and in you and you uh, through you. But he changed his lives. But the response of the world is to ignore us, belittle us, try to intimidate and threaten us. The pressure to compromise. You know, the uh, one of the big buzzwords in society has been for a while is acceptance and tolerance. And we're supposed to accept and be tolerant of anybody and everything, anything and everybody, anything. Anything, anybody, everything, everybody, except for Christians. And the world tries to put the pressure on, and we all face it. It's sad to say, we've talked about it a little bit, but there are churches, there are followers of Jesus that are giving in to that pressure, and they begin to accept and promote worldly views and worldly lifestyles trying to say, but, oh, I know that the Bible says this, but that's not what it really means, or that was only for then, it's not for now, and all these reasons and excuses why we can ignore what God said about all these other things. And and it just makes me think all the way back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden when the serpent came to Eve, and he says, did God really say? Is that what God really meant? You know what? God says what he means, and he means what he says. We need to decide, am I going to please God or my flesh? Am I going to please God or my culture? Am I going to please God or my friends? Determine to please God. Peter and John wouldn't go along. And this is serious. These are the same people that were responsible for putting Jesus to death, and they could do the same thing to Peter and John. I can tell you that I face this in my own life. I have to determine, and it's this decision I have to make every day. I'm going to please God. Like you, I face temptation from my flesh, from the world. And I say, am I going to please God and how I respond to this? Or am I going to please my flesh? Or am I going to please the pressures of the world? I face it as a, pres- as a pastor. When I preach and teach, am I going to preach and teach God's word as it is and what it means in context, properly uh, understood and interpreted? Or am I going to avoid certain subjects? Or am I going to kind of, you know, backpedal a little bit? Or, God forbid, I don't, I never have deliberately, and I don't ever want to, compromise and try to excuse away what God says that it means something else? I have to make that decision too. I want to determine I want to please God. The second thing is this, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. We go back to verse 8. And after the leader said, hey, who gives you the authority to do this? Who gives you the power to go out and say these things and do these things? And in verse 8, it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when Luke wrote that, he's not saying, then Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost a couple weeks ago. The way this is worded in the Greek, it's a little more detailed in the sense, a little more clear. It's saying that Peter, at that very moment... Being filled with the Spirit said what he said. It's like, well, 
why did Luke write that? We wrote it because it happened. But why did it happen? Because Peter had already been filled with the Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, a couple weeks ago, probably a couple weeks ago. We don't know the exact time frame in there. Why was he filled with the Holy Spirit again? The elders had a prayer meeting yesterday. Great prayer meeting. And one of the comments that was made just kind of in passing is that we leak. You know, we need a fresh touch from God. That really just describes it. You know, God works in our lives. He pours his spirit into us and we leak. All right. And we need a fresh touch. And that's really what it's all about. And that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just a one time event. It's a lifestyle. It's an ongoing experience of being under the control and anointing of God's Holy Spirit. And we see in the book of Acts and other places in Scripture that when we need it, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit is, a, is available to us in a fresh way. If we're a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit dwells within us. But when we face those difficulties and we cry out to God, He gives us a fresh anointing. He gives us a fresh filling. You might remember when I read the scripture, we got to the very last verse in verse 31. At the end of the prayer, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They'd been filled before. God gave them another one. If we want to have the power to live for Jesus, fulfill what he's called us to do, conquer our sinful flesh, accomplish God's work in this world, we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The New Testament has a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. We've preached and taught on it before. We'll do it again. It talks about being filled with the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, being empowered by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit. And as you go through your life, the Spirit has a presence and power at work within you. Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.8, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, he's saying there's a lot of things you can be under the influence of. Most often we think of being under the influence. We think of alcohol or drugs or something. He says, no, no, no. Don't be under the influence of anything except God and His Holy Spirit. Be filled. And when he says there, be filled with the Spirit, again, the Greek says, be filled. Be continuously over and over and over again. Be filled with the Spirit. I think once again about the difference in Peter here and how he had acted just weeks or months ago when he was in the courtyard of the high priest and Jesus is being tried and he said, people are saying, hey, you're one of his followers, aren't you? And he denied Jesus three times. And now he's standing before the same people that Jesus had been standing before and they condemned him to death and had it carried out. And he's saying, no, Jesus, Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus, knowing that he could face the same fate. What made the difference? You can't say it's just because he knew Jesus. He'd known Jesus a long time. That's important. But it was the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in his life. We need to be filled with the Spirit. I can tell you that I am so dependent on the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to demystify this because we kind of think of this sometimes like some kind of eerie feeling. I heard one person describe it like an experience with the Holy Spirit. It's like an an electrifying liver shiver. You know, and, and, and you know, sometimes we have an experience with God and His Holy Spirit, and it's wonderful, whether it happens in a church service or a convention or maybe even all alone we're praying, and we just have this experience that we sense and that we feel, and that's wonderful, but it's not about experience. 
It's just about God's presence and power. It's not always something we just sense in a sensory way. It's just that assurance that God is with me and I can tell he's leading me and he's helping me. Sometimes he gives me the words to say. Sometimes he brings back to my remembrance things I've studied. Um, but you got to study it first for him to bring it back to remembrance, by the way. You know, uh, in just a sense, you know, there's so many times I get up to preach or teach and afterwards, it's like, mm, man, I could tell God was really helping me today. And I pray for that all the time. I pray for you, too, that God will help you to hear, understand, receive, and be moved by what God's speaking. I pray that for you today. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So dependent on that, not just as a pastor, but as a believer. Are you filled with the Spirit? Do you live your life surrendered to God's Spirit. The third thing, spend time with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. See, that sounds so simple. You know, Peter and John had the privilege of actually literally, physically spending time with Jesus. Jesus was in active ministry for three, three and a half years. The disciples were with him for much of that time, maybe even most of that time. is not exactly for sure when they went full-time with Jesus because it seems to indicate they would go with him for a little bit then go back home. But there came a time when he says, hey, leave it all behind and let's go. But they had the privilege of being with him pretty much 24-7 for years. We don't have that privilege because Jesus isn't physically here. But we can still be with Jesus. Anyway, spend time with Jesus. If you look at verse 13, it's mentioned there. It says, now when they saw the boldness, the courage, the confidence of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What this tells us is that you don't have to have a theological education to have a relationship with God and to be used by Him. But this also is not something that should tell us that those things aren't important and can't be used. There are people that God calls to get a deeper level of education. I've kind of considered a great privilege that I, I went to Bible college and I got my bachelor's in Bible and then I went back to graduate school and I got a master's in, in biblical languages and Christian education, all that kind of stuff. It has helped me tremendously. And there are many people who haven't gone to a Bible college or seminary who spent a lot of time digging into God's word in a deep way because God wants to use them to preach and to teach. Both are valid, but whether God calls you to preach or teach, even if he doesn't call you to dig deeply, I mean, we need to dig as deeply as we can, but to prepare to do a sermon or a Bible study, he calls all of us to be with him and to spend time with him and to learn from him and to grow in our relationship with him. I find it interesting, I've mentioned this before, preached on it, that when Jesus first called his disciples. You know, he had a lot of disciples. But there were 12 specifically that after a night in prayer, Jesus said, you're going to be the main ones. Okay. And Mark reported it this way in Mark 3, 14. It says, and Jesus, after the night in prayer, and Jesus appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out. And it describes what he was going to send them out to do, to preach, teach, heal, all that kind of stuff. But notice the order and what it says here. It says, he chose them to be with him. Can I tell you, I've already said, God has a plan and purpose for your life. He wants to work some great things in and through you. 
For some, it'll be things that other people really notice. Some will be behind the scenes. God wants to work. But you know what? We have been commissioned to do God's work in this world. And as important as that is, God's first priority is not what we can do for him, but our relationship with him. Jesus chose these 12 for great responsibility. But it says, first of all, he just wanted them to be with him. The same thing is true for you. God's got great things for you. I don't know what that is. Not meaning to try to scare you. Not trying to build it up as more than what it might be. God can use each and every one of us in our world. But the main thing, the first thing is he wants you to be with him. He wants you to have a close relationship with him. As I said, Peter and John have been with Jesus physically, but we can't do that. But we can spend time with him through prayer and his word and in the company of other believers, talking, studying, praying together. Of course, it means you've got to have a relationship with him first of all, you know. I'll, I'll, I'll say more about that later, but I just want to ask, can people tell you've been with Jesus? When you've been with Jesus, it changes you. So does the power of the Holy Spirit. So does that commitment. But it's being with Jesus that changes you. When you hang out with somebody, it changes you. I have a tremendous influence on my wife. She has a tremendous influence on me because she's who I spend most of my time with for the longest period of time. We need to be with Jesus. Spend time with Jesus. There's two more, very quick. The fourth one is this. Turn to your Christian family for support. I think this is going to become more and more important in the world we live in. If we really want to live for Jesus and do it right and, and all that kind of stuff and not fall uh, pray and fall to the temptation to be complacent, apathetic, and to compromise, we're going to need each other. It's always been true. We need each other. The reason I said these are going to be shorter because I've preached on them so many times. We need each other. Boy, I'm saddened by the lack of amens. We need each other. Thank you. I know that was just to please me, but that's okay. If you look at verse 32, when they were finally released, I'm sorry, 23, not 32. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. They went to their friends. Who were these friends? We don't know exactly. They're the other believers. Is it just the other of the 11 disciples? Probably not. It's probably all the people that were fellowshipping together. We see in the early days of the church, they met together frequently in the upper room and, and had fellowship and there's descriptions of what the church did together. But they went, they went to their Christian family. I preached it many times, so I'm not going to re-preach it this morning, but we need our relationships with each other to be strong and not let the enemy build walls and cause problems between us. Brother Lynn, again, preached a lot about how the enemy uses that to cause problems between us last week when he preached. We need to strengthen our relationships with one another. If you don't have strong relationship with other Christians, you need them. That relationship, the fellowship, the commitment, the accountability, the encouragement. I've had the privilege of knowing the Lord for a long time. 53 years. But I couldn't have done it without other people. I've been the privilege of being the pastor of this church for over 18 and a half years and other places of ministry before that. But I couldn't do it without other people. Those relationships 
I've said so many times and I'm so thankful for it. You all encourage me so much. Our elders, our deacons and deaconesses are great leaders. They provide such great support. But the support isn't just helping making decisions and carrying out responsibilities, which they do. But it's the support spiritually. It's the encouragement that I get. I mentioned we had the elders prayer meeting yesterday. I, I came in feeling pretty good, but it's been kind of a rough time. Been praying a lot about God. What more do you want to do in our church? God, what more do you want to do to use our church to touch our community? And what do I need to do as the pastor to see that happen? What's my responsibility? And then the concerns about the economy and how it's affecting our finances and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, you know, I think of what Paul says, you know, he's faced all these difficulties and persecutions and, and all that. And he says, on top of that, I got the concern for all the churches. He was concerned about all the churches he started. I just got one to be concerned about. Okay, not to be worried. But again, I came in feeling fine. But the time that me and the other elders spent together just sharing, talking about the needs of our body so we could pray, and then praying together, I left yesterday about 10 minutes to 11 just feeling so good. Good in the Lord. But good because I knew my brother elders were there for me. And I know that's true of our deacons and deacons. I know that's true of you guys are so encouraging. I've been reading in my devotions lately, Jeremiah. God called him to speak to God's people. And for the most part, the people, except for a couple people, just totally rejected Jeremiah. He, he had nobody or very few people that gave him support. I thought, oh God, thank you that you haven't called me to a ministry like Jeremiah. I preach to people that are so patient. They listen. They pay attention. They amen most of the time. And and they talk to me about how God's working in their life. And they're, they're so encouraging. We need that. You need that. You may not be a pastor, but you need that. You need that. Turn to your Christian family for support. And the last one, turn to God for strength. Verse 24, and when they, Peter, John, and their Christian family, when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And again, what was the result? Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We need to turn to God for strength. We need to do that all by ourselves when we find ourselves in that situation, but we need to do it together. You going through something, share it with a brother and sister you can trust. Have them pray with you. Pray together. And again, we're going to look at that prayer next week because that's the source of our power, the power that we need in these last days. I'll just give you a little spoiler. What did they pray for? Some of you know. Did they pray, oh Lord, they were so mean. Help me feel better. Oh God, they were so mean. Get rid of them. Oh, God, they're opposing your work. Help me to stay away from them. Oh, Lord, deliver us. Oh, that isn't what they prayed. You know what they prayed? They said, God, they're opposing what you want to do. Give us more boldness. Oh, talk, I, I don't need to preach next week's sermon. So anyway, how do you pray when you face difficulty? Deliverance? There's nothing wrong with praying for deliverance. They just didn't do it this time. Or at least it's not recorded. Do you pray for protection? There's nothing wrong with praying for protection. 
But don't ever let your prayers for yourself just be about, Lord, deliver me, protect me, help me, oh. But God, fill me with your spirit. Give me that boldness. Give me what I need to do, what you've called me to do in this world in the midst of all this pressure and stuff that's coming against me. Turn to God for strength. Turn to God for strength. We need godly courage today. I believe we're going to need it more as we go into the future. To live for Jesus in a world that doesn't like him, doesn't like his followers, doesn't like his truth, that doesn't like his standards. To be able to share our faith, we need courage. So my challenge to you, what I believe God's challenge to us is today, is to have that courage. There's other ways that we can have that courage built up in us, but in this story we see these things, that that courage can be here when we determine we're going to please God and not ourselves, not anybody else, not this world, not our culture, not our political party, not... No, I'm going to please God. When we choose to seek God, to be filled with the Spirit every day, to be led by Him and empowered by Him and, and, and all that goes with that. When we spend time with Jesus, when that becomes the priority... You know, spending time with Jesus. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step on some toes right now. I'm just warning you ahead of time. Spending time with Jesus is more important than spending time watching college football. I just turned off so many people. But I didn't say it was wrong to watch college football. You like that? Enjoy it. But if that keeps you from spending time with Jesus, spending time with Jesus is more important than my favorite hobby or my favorite book or my favorite TV show or my favorite whatever. I'm preaching a whole nother message now and I gotta wrap this one up. Spending time with Jesus and turning to your Christian family for support, you, you need those relationships. You've got to be in those relationships. And, and, and can I tell you, I am so glad you are all here today and those of you that are watching online, I'm glad you're watching online, but just sitting in these rows doesn't build relationship. Sitting in these rows is important to worship God together during worship, to hear God's word preached and taught, but there has to be some environment in which you're building relationship with other believers. And I mentioned a couple weeks ago, we're, we're going to be working real hard in the new year to, to start some more small groups, places where believers can gather together, maybe even neighborhoods or whatever, to, to build some more closer, uh, more close relationships with other believers and do life together. Turn to God for strength. Turn to God for strength. As we wrap this up, I just want to go back to something I said before, and that is that the, I said the most important thing as a believer is to determine you're going to please God. But even before that, you need to be a believer. You need to have a relationship with Jesus, with God, through Jesus Christ. And in the thing that Peter said to the leaders, he said this in verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's not politically correct, but the only way we can be saved from our sins is through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. It's not by being good. It's not by following your path and all paths eventually lead to God. That's a diabolical lie from the devil. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. The Bible makes it very clear. We are all sinners separated from God. For the wages, and then he says, um, the wages of sin is death. That's that separation. Not just physical death, spiritual death, spiritual separation, not just for this life, but for all eternity. 
but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have salvation not by going to church, reading our Bible, giving, praying, all that kind of stuff. Those are wonderful things to do, especially once you become a believer, to grow in our relationship with him. And we should do those things. But we develop or we have a relationship with God when we come to God and say, God, I am a sinner, and without Jesus, I deserve hell. We don't like to say that. We don't like to believe that because we're not near as bad as so many other people. But that is the truth. All sinners, all sin separates us from God. And we come and say, I am a sinner. God, please forgive me. I repent. I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me not because I'm so good, because I'm not. Not because I'm going to try harder. I want to do that. But because Jesus came and died for me. Because Jesus came to this earth and lived the perfect life, the life we cannot live, and died a death he didn't deserve to pay the price for our sins. As we wrap things up today, the first thing I want to say is that if you are here today or you're watching online or maybe you're listening to or watching this later and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, that's just another way of putting it. The Bible talks about being saved, being born again, all that kind of stuff. But it's basically just surrendering your life, asking God to forgive you based on what Jesus did, and then just begin to live for him. I want to encourage you to do that. And if you're here today and you say, that's me, I need Jesus as my Savior, would you just lift your hand up? Anybody say, I, I want to commit my life to Christ today. I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, you know what, I need to, I, today's the day I need to step over that line. Today's the day I need to turn over that steering wheel. I don't know what metaphor you want to use, but today's the day I need to choose. I'm going to follow Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer. It's one that raised their hands here. Maybe those that are watching and I can't see them. Maybe those that may be watching this or listening to this later and God's dealing with their heart to surrender their life for Christ. And I just want to lead us in a prayer that as you pray it, not because I pray, but because you pray it, that God will make a difference in your life and your life can be changed. I just encourage you to pray something like this. Father, I come to you today and I thank you for speaking to my heart and I recognize that I am a sinner I've done and said things that I don't even like, much less that are wrong according to your standards. And I ask that you please forgive me. And I don't ask that you forgive me because I'm going to try to do better or I already try to do good. But I ask that you forgive me because Jesus took care of it on the cross. Cleanse me of my sin. And I thank you that your word says that if I confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sins cleanse me from all unrighteousness thank you Lord for forgiveness I put my faith hope and trust in Jesus Christ the son of God God himself who came to earth who died was buried and rose again to a new life and I ask that you would live a new life in me and through me fill me with your spirit help me to serve you in Jesus name I pray amen If you prayed that prayer, those of you that are watching online, listening, whatever, you meant that with your heart, God has forgiven you. He's got a new life for you, and I want to talk to you, or my wife would love to talk to you, any of our leaders would love to talk to you about how to get anchored. All the things I said today is great ways to get anchored in that life in Christ. Let's all stand together. We're going to end a little bit different than we usually do. We usually call our leaders down and make time for prayer. And if you've got a need today, you need prayer for somebody to pray with you about, please feel free. Um, 
after we've dismissed to approach me or Pastor Jan or one of our elders or any other believer that you know loves Jesus and say, hey, would you pray with me about this? But I just feel like God is calling us to a moment of surrender and commitment to say, Lord, in the face of all the opposition that's out there in the world that's getting stronger and stronger, I want to be true to you. Our worship team is going to lead us in some, song, in, in, in some worship about the Holy Spirit, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we got God the Father involved in this. we got God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, and we need His presence and power. And I encourage you to not just say, oh, we're going to get out of here in about three, four, five minutes, but to instead sing along or just worship God and make this a prayer. Lord, fill me with Your Holy Spirit. Help me to stand strong. Help me to determine... I'm going to live for you no matter what I face. Let's do that together before we close. Nothing worth more that will never come close. Nothing can compare your
close our time together this morning. I want us to pray together. I want us to pray with each other. I want us to pray for each other. God laid on my heart to just do a little teaching moment here real quick. In a moment, don't, not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to ask you that if you are willing, would you take the hand of the person next to you or, you know, whatever. But just be aware that there are some people that physical touch is a very difficult thing because of past experiences. So if I ever ask you to reach out to somebody next to you or whatever and they really don't want to, just realize there's maybe a reason for that. They're not just being whatever. I just felt like the Lord told me to say that because I know of some people that have been through some things and physical touch can be very difficult. But if that's not so for you and you're willing, would you just reach out to the people around you and let's just pray for one another. Father God, we just come to you right now. And God, you have challenged us with your word. Lord, you've challenged me this week as I prepared this message. You've challenged me this morning as I preached this message. Lord, I got areas to grow in in each of these things. God, this world, it's a mess. And God, we do pray for revival in your church. We pray for a change in our culture. But whether it comes or not, God, I pray that you would help us to live as your followers in our world with strength and not just survive, but thrive. And I pray we'd make a difference in our world, Lord God, that you would give us a boldness to live the way we're supposed to live, to believe the right things, to do the right things. And in that process, you'll give us opportunities to tell people about Jesus and their lives can be changed. But Lord, if they're not receptive and they push back and we have problems, help us to just continue to be determined. God, I'm going to please you. And I'm going to continue to walk in the power of your spirit. God, we need you today. We ask that as we leave this place, whether it's in a minute or 10 minutes or 20 minutes because we're having a great time fellowshipping, that we go out in your power, in your strength, having been encouraged by your word with a determination to serve you in our world this week. And God, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Love on one another. Fellowship with us. Pray for one another as you leave this place today. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.